Hey there, this is It's All Good, a Block Club Chicago podcast, and I'm your host, John Hansen, and this is a bonus episode, a chance for us to introduce all of our great listeners to Block Club Chicago's other podcast that we just launched. It's called The Ballot, and it's a podcast about this upcoming election and future elections in the city. It's your podcast, Chicago Election Headquarters, and it features in-depth interviews with mayoral candidates and lots of extra analysis and fun stuff about Chicago's elections. So we wanted to give everyone a chance to listen here to an episode that we posted late last week about campaign financing might sound a little boring, but trust me, if you're into politics, it's not. Do you have any idea, by the way, who the biggest individual donor to Mayor Lightfoot's campaign is? We know, and it's a name you probably know, too. We'll tell you in a little bit. That's what we call a tease. So listen and then subscribe to The Ballot. It's a Block Club Chicago podcast. Thanks for letting us share it with you here. Our great It's All Good listeners. Hey there, this is, uh, I almost said it's all good. No, this is our second podcast. This is The Ballot, a Block Club Chicago podcast. I'm John Hanson. Now, up until this time on The Ballot, since we launched about a week ago, you've heard from Laura Washington, who's done a great job with our mayoral candidates' um, live streams that we've uh, replicated here on the podcast. But I thought we'd dive into some analysis, too, of the uh, mayoral election. And uh, we're going to do it with Mick Dumkey here. He's the investigations editor for Block Club Chicago. First of all, Mick, welcome to the team, my friend. Thank you very much, John. It's great to be here on the podcast. And it's also uh, just great to be part of the Block Club team. Right. And you've done a lot here in Chicago journalism with some fine outlets. And we're thrilled to have you, especially as we approach this uh, mayoral election and you and I could probably nerd out on so many different wonky things, but when you and I were talking about what we should talk about today for our initial chat, you kind of caught my ear a little bit with uh, with campaign financing. I, I We talk about that a lot on a national scale, right? When national elections come around, I feel like it's, you know, there's always talk about, oh, the Koch brothers to the Republicans and George Soros, but I feel like for local elections, unless you're really paying attention, it's an area that, I don't know, not, not enough people pay attention to. Would you agree with me there? I agree. I mean, I think it's perceived as uh, rather wonky kind of inside baseball, and it can get to that place very quickly, let's face it. But I also think it's really important for a couple of reasons, John. I mean, first of all, just accountability. Um, we should know who the people are who are funding these campaigns, especially a campaign for an office as important and as powerful as the mayor of the city of Chicago. So we should just know what money is behind these campaigns. Uh, the second thing is, I think they do say a lot about the campaigns, how they're operating, who they're turning to for support and for help, what their themes are. And so I, I just think it's very important, uh, you know, we can try not to get too far in the weeds, but it's very important to just kind of highlight what approaches these campaigns and these candidates have taken to getting money. Um, and, and one really quick note, maybe this is obvious to people, but uh, money is very important. There are pe people who get into politics who have lots of money or raise lots of money and they fail at it. So it's certainly not everything. But especially at um, local elections now, you know, at one point in time, not so long ago, uh, Chicago elections were dominated by the machine. They were dominated by patronage operations. So uh, government workers who really owed their jobs to politicians were obligated to go out, 
during election season and get people to the polls really as a condition for keeping their jobs and also mm-hmm. to make sure the people who were sponsoring them got reelected so they continued to have jobs. Um, but that system by and large is gone uh, for various reasons. We could do multiple podcasts about that. <laughs> but the bottom line is that, you know, uh, that old school way of getting people to the polls doesn't work anymore for most people, uh, except in very rare instances. So people need money. Um, you know, I'm a basketball fan. Every time I'm watching a Bulls game now, I'm seeing commercials. Uh, people are seeing them probably on their phones or on social media. So that's what the money is used for, is to really access people through the airwaves, through the media, through different kinds of media, and then through, uh, you know, stuffing your mailbox with uh, campaign flyers. Right. And so I think it's fair to say money may not make you, but not having money can break you. Very much so. It's really difficult, not impossible, but very difficult uh, to run a campaign without money, unless you have lots of foot soldiers, but usually that's tied in with money too, because right. not many very people work for free anymore. So Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we should also note that I, and I obviously, if, if anything untoward or illegal is happening, you're digging into it, but most of the money I imagine we're talking about, if not all of it today, I mean, these are legal donations that are made to campaigns, right? Do you feel that way or am I yeah, I mean, over a ledge here? I'm, I'm sure there are people who are cutting corners and breaking rules, but listen, you don't really need to break rules to pour a lot of money into a candidate's campaign these days. Believe it or not, the state of Illinois has some campaign finance laws. There are supposed to be limits on campaigns, but in one of the sort of ironic uh, Orwellian quirks of the law, uh, candidates can basically buy their way out of the funding limits. Again, we can have a whole other podcast on that. But the bottom line is that the the limits were broken in this race by, um, I believe Willie Wilson broke them initially, a uh, very wealthy business owner. Uh, obviously, people are familiar with Willie. This is his third run for mayor. He's run for many other offices, including president of the United States um, in between mayoral campaigns. But, you know, he's given his... Uh, his campaign over just the last year, uh, about $6 million. So uh, by doing that, he basically lifted the limits on everybody. So it's kind of uh, open season out there. People can get what money their donors want to give them at this point without, without worrying about the limits. Okay. Well, let's jump right in. Where does Mayor Lightfoot get her campaign donations from? Are there certain wells which are uh, tapped correctly or uh, abundantly, I should say? Is it a wide variety? Sure, yes. Um, The answer is yes to all those things. I would describe overall Mayor Lightfoot's uh, campaign fundraising as benefiting from the powers of incumbency. When you're the the sitting mayor of Chicago, money is going to flow in. People um, who like what she's doing, of course, are going to give money. Uh, people who are long-term allies are going to give money. And then, of course, people who just want to be close to power or, frankly, are benefiting in some way from uh, activity at City Hall. They are going to give her money as well. And in this case, um, all of the above has happened for Mayor Lightfoot. Um, John, there's a couple of people I think are really interesting to point out in particular. I'm uh, It really caught my eye and some other people who have gotten in touch with me that uh, the mayor has uh, gotten a considerable amount of money from pro sports teams owners in the city of Chicago. Um, You know, 
we could question why, but let's just give a couple examples here. Uh, Laura Ricketts, uh, obviously her family owns the Chicago Cubs. She is Mayor Lightfoot's top individual donor, according to Whoa. campaign finance records. Um, and I'm looking at a period, just to be clear, from uh, January 2022 to the end of this January. So uh, basically a year and, and one month. So over that period, yeah, Laura Ricketts has given uh, more than $200,000 uh, to Mayor Lightfoot. Um, her spouse, Brooke Skinner Ricketts, has given another $6,000 to the Lightfoot campaign. And they each gave uh, $12,000 additionally to a super PAC that allies of the mayor um, set up some time ago. So, you know, we're talking collectively um, approaching, uh, you know, $250,000, $230,000. Um, so that's her top uh, individual, um, uh, you know, sort of household that is, that is given to the mayor. Can we just pause for a second for people who are trying to follow along? You mentioned individual donations to the mayor, and then you mentioned to the PAC. Can you just in the simplest of terms, explain how that works for people that maybe don't understand the difference between those two. Yeah. Thanks for the question, John. I get, I'm so, uh, you know, oh, deeply, me too. deeply immersed in this stuff <laughs> that you start to, you know, talk this kind of uh, gobbledygook stuff. So uh, a pack is a political action committee. Um, every campaign fund is technically a political action committee, but there are different kinds and you can set up what's commonly called a super pack. Uh, which again, we won't get into the weeds of it, but it is um, not supposed to coordinate with the main campaign. But in addition, in in return for not direct, not having direct coordination, super PACs are generally allowed to raise more money. Um, right. E even the minimal limits we talked about a minute ago for campaign funds, uh, super PACs are free of them. So Mayor Lightfoot's allies, some some longtime friends and allies of hers, set up a pack called the Light Pack. Um, a couple of years ago. It hasn't done that much, especially in the last year, but it still is collecting some money. So her main source of income uh, during this campaign season has been her uh, her regular campaign fund. Okay. And uh, any other, so you mentioned uh, the Ricketts family, I imagine Reinsdorf works on those lists That's too? right. You got it. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, owner of the uh, Sox and Bulls, gave Lightfoot, uh, Lightfoot's campaign $30,000 last year. Um, his son, Michael Reinsdorf, who is the Bulls president and chief operating officer, gave another $5,000. And Michael's wife, Nancy, head of the Bulls charities, gave $5,000. Um, in addition to that, various members of the Wirtz family who own uh, the Blackhawks, uh, have given money to Mayor Lightfoot. Um, looks like about $18,000 total. And uh, Joe Mansueto, the owner of the Chicago Fire soccer team, gave $25,000 to Mayor Lightfoot. Um, now, you know, I wrote a lot about Joe Mansueto last year, John, when I was uh, at ProPublica. I was writing about, um, this is a whole other story again, but uh, there's a deal in the works where the Chicago Housing Authority is going to lease land to the fire to build a practice facility. And Mayor Lightfoot has been pushing that deal forward. It's somewhat controversial. But, uh, you know, late last year um, in November, Joe Mansueto gave $25,000, of course, said it wasn't because of the fire stuff. But to most observers, it looks like, hey, Mayor Lightfoot is 
working closely with Joe Mansueto on this deal. Then he turns around and gives $25,000. I should note also that the sports teams we mentioned previously, uh, the the Bulls, Sox, Blackhawks, Cubs, um, are also... uh, they're also in a good position to benefit from an ordinance that passed the city council with Mayor Lightfoot's support um, that will allow sports books at all those stadiums. Um, Laura Ricketts gave an interview to Cranes recently where she said, well, that had nothing to do with her support for Lightfoot. She's a, a backer of hers, among other reasons, because of her advocacy for uh, you know, gay and lesbian uh, rights. Uh, but, um, you know, the fact of the matter is all these organizations are counting on City Hall's help or have received City Hall's help. And, you know, they're kicking into the mayor's right. campaign fund. Two things. One, I should I'd be remiss if I didn't mention just for um, uh, just to be completely transparent. I work for the Blackhawks part time as a role, just so uh, if everyone knows that. And um, also. I would also say that, yes, you'll never really get, of course, no one would come out and say, of course, this is the money for this. Uh, that would not be, I don't think, illegal. <laughs> for their, <laughs> It would certainly be frowned upon in a, in a strong way. But I wonder, and uh, perhaps you don't have the numbers in front of you, but I wonder if incumbents generally get the favor of sports teams owners in the past as a part of the relationship that they've built over the previous couple of years just the mayor and the interaction and the and the the huge role that sports play in our city one could maybe make the argument that that's a perhaps a normal thing absolutely and i think a lot of the names we've mentioned have donated to um mayor lightfoot's predecessors in the past you know john in addition to what you're saying their role in the city and the city's economy and how tied that in how tied in that is with policies out of city hall you know, sports team owners tend to be very wealthy. Uh, They're wealthy business people and uh, not all, but a lot of wealthy business people also like to donate to politicians for various reasons. Uh, From various parties. Various parties, various reasons. And, you know, we'll talk in a second about a number of uh, contributors to uh, mayoral campaigns here who are sort of, uh, you know, bipartisan in their campaign uh, funding and donation activity. You know, that's, well, that's go, very common. Let, so let's yeah. go there now. Do you see donors that kind of uh, sprawl up and down the, the, maybe not all nine candidates that we have now, but kind of have, uh, have spread it out a little bit? Well, yeah, I think what's really interesting to me about Paul Vallis and his fundraising is the number of uh, wealthy business people, including sort of from, uh, what I would characterize as like the investor class, people who are private equity investors who work in tech, who work in trading. Um, this group of people, I've been tracking some of these individuals for a number of years, some of Chicago and the state of Illinois' wealthiest people because they are prolific campaign donors, a lot of them. And over the years, John, I've seen them donate to first uh, former mayor Richard M. Daly then to Rahm Emanuel, a lot of the same people backed Bruce Rauner, who himself was a wealthy uh, investor, uh, business person, who of course served one term as uh, Illinois governor. Um, and a lot of them kicked in to uh, to kill the uh, state income tax proposal that J- Governor J.B. Pritzker advanced a couple of years ago. And now a number of the same individuals are contributing to Paul Vallis, including several 
who uh, a couple years ago supported Mayor Lightfoot. So it's really interesting when you see people peel off, not just being sort of bipartisan contributors, but when they backed one candidate and then a couple years later, they're kind of switching sides. Um, and you see that in, in several instances with the, the Vallis campaign, people who were Lightfoot supporters before who now are, are backing Paul Vallis. Do you think, I mean, since the the way this works with two, you know, if no one gets 50% plus one, we're going to have a runoff. Is there something about people waiting on the sidelines, you think, until they know what the final two are? Or does it even look better if you're someone who gave from the beginning and you backed the horse to get to the runoff? And also, I guess that also raises another question. Um, is there different campaign rules for the first part and the second part? So tackle those two questions however you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're, these are great questions. And um, everybody wants to be on the side of a winner. And I think that's certainly true in politics as it is in sports and everything else. So there are some people who are putting money down on someone they want to be mayor. There are people who are putting uh, money down on people they think are, uh, has a good chance to be mayor. So they're just, you know, placing a bet on a, on a horse they think um, is likely to finish in first. Um, and then there are people who you're right in the runoff system, uh, you know, decide they're not sure or they sit out the first phase and then they see who comes out on top or who's made the runoff. And then uh, they sort of place their bets and decide to support a candidate. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Paul Finnegan, who's the co-CEO of a, an operation called Madison Dearborn Partners. It's a, a investment firm here in Chicago. And a number of people at Madison Dearborn are significant contributors to the Vallis campaign. But Finnegan really caught my eye because he did exactly what you're talking about. In 2019, after uh, Lori Lightfoot finished first in the first round of balloting, surprising a lot of people, seemingly coming out of nowhere for a, a lot of people, after she finished first, he gave her a campaign contribution, a pretty significant one. And, uh, you know, now he has uh, become one of Paul Vallis's top individual donors, uh, giving uh, $200,000 so far uh, to Paul Vallis. Uh, so that's someone who saw Lightfoot emerging as the likely mayor, put money down. And then, you know, I haven't talked to Mr. Finnegan yet personally, but obviously has decided that uh, there's somebody else he wants for the next round, uh, for, for the next term. So, um, and you see that in, in a number of instances. Do you think that, and I, I have no idea analyzing the spending side of it, are there, can, do candidates like open up the chest to get to the runoff and hope that more donations pour in afterwards to fund that part of it? Or are there some candidates who leave money in the war chest with a that think that they at least have a better than half chance of getting to the runoff I, I, and this is wonky but i'm kind of curious no about it's that. it's a really i mean i think that's a great question um i won't claim to be a political strategist uh but my sense is in a race like this where there are nine candidates and uh you know making the runoff or missing out on the runoff could be decided by a very small margin um you know, if you get if you get twenty percent in in the first round, you know you're probably going to make the runoff, right? Oh I yeah. Mean, I so, so you know, and, and maybe a, a smaller percentage of that will get you into the runoff. So, 
what I'm saying is I think that unless you're Willie Wilson, we have, uh, you know, almost an unlimited amount of funding available to dip into. Um, you are, you're probably somewhat concerned about having some cash left over, but your first job is to make the runoff. You know, if, if you don't right. advance in the tournament, uh, it's what all it over. If you're out on the first round, you're not going to win the championship. So I think, I think, especially if you're like Lori Lightfoot, who is uh, the incumbent, you know, it's usually very hard to defeat an incumbent, but um, John, so far all the polling has shown and just people you and I have talked to what's out there in the air is that she's going to have a really hard time getting reelected. I think she's going to have a really hard time even making the runoff. So I doubt that they are going to be sparing any expense to, to try to get to round two here. I'd imagine too. All right. We've kind of touched on Paul Vallis, the mayor, you mentioned Willie Wilson. What about Chewy Garcia? Chewy's an interesting case, John, because he is uh, both a known quantity, which gives a lot of people um, confidence in him, but he's also, I think among some people, he's kind of seen as yesterday's news. I mean, he, he, uh, you know, with the help actually of Willie Wilson, who finished uh, behind him, but, you know, the two of them essentially took Rahm Emanuel into a runoff in 2015 and, uh, and then Chewy lost the runoff to Rahm, but he's been around before he's run for mayor before he's held, you know, been a member of the city council, uh, Cook County government, uh, you know, worked at leading a nonprofit on the Southwest side. Um, and now as a member of Congress, of course, so that plays both to his advantage and his dis and to is a disadvantage if people are looking for a fresh face. Um, and in this case, you know, he was widely perceived to have gotten into the race late. Um, he, I suspect for strategic political reasons, he waited until after the midterm elections in November to say he was all in on the mayor's race because he didn't want to look like he was running for two things at once, right? Re-election right. to Congress and for mayor, it's, it's a bad look, but that's, uh, that left him behind. So, um, you know, it's been out there before, but Brandon Johnson, the Cook County commissioner, a uh, longtime organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. You know, he was building, uh, putting the building blocks for mayoral campaign together while Chewy um, appeared to be uh, either deliberating or dithering or just waiting till after the midterms. And so Johnson got a lot of support that that uh, Chewy might have otherwise and did in the past. So I kind of think of them as, as, is going together in a certain way because um, they were at least initially you would think they would be competing for the same uh, sources of money. Um, so Chewy's top donor is local 150 of the international union of operating engineers. Um, they have a, a political fund called the fight back fund, and they have given Chewy's mayoral campaign a million dollars over the last oh year. Um, and that's almost half of the 2.3 million he collected uh, during this period. So they are by far his most significant donor. Um, he also has uh, some much smaller donations from, from fellow Democratic elected officials, including a number whose uh, careers he helped launch um, around here because he's uh, also served as a mentor for some younger people. Um, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't note that Chewy, uh, Chewy's congressional campaign fund uh, received donations uh, from uh, crypto leader Samuel Bankman-Fried, uh, 
if you haven't heard about this already, it's only because you've been very successful at tuning out. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's campaign has just hammered away at this. Oh, yeah. Of course, Bankman Freed has, has since been indicted. Um, but it's uh, a crypto Madoff, basically, if people don't quite know the whole story. Right, exactly. And, Which and, we don't have to break down now. Yeah, <laughs> but and it, crypto yes. itself is, is something that I don't know about you, it kind of makes my head spin because it's just yes. so complicated. It works, mm, but spin's a nice way to say it. I say explode, <laughs> but exactly. Here's a random question Can Chewy pull from his congressional con- uh, fundraising into a mayoral race, or does it have to be for races in Congress? No, he can transfer, and he did. Uh, it's a good question. So he transferred more than $100,000 from his congressional fund over to his mayoral campaign. And I took a look at his congressional uh, fund funding sources and a lot of the top donors were unions, but he also had some individuals uh, donating. In addition to Samuel Bankman Free, there are a couple other curiosities. I saw a guy by the name of uh, Perry Mandera, whom uh, Block Club has written about before. Uh, he's a business owner. Uh, his endeavors include a strip club and multiple cannabis dispensaries in Chicago. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of other people. I mean, again, Chewy's been around for a long time. So there's a right. lot of smaller uh, donors around. Um, since we, I mentioned Brandon Johnson, John, yeah. j- jump right in there. I think it's very interesting to note that, uh, you know, Brandon has sort of portrayed himself and his supporters certainly have lifted him up as the leading progressive, uh, you know, candidate in this race, that the person who's uh, sort of furthest to the left um, on most issues, uh, about 97% of the $2.7 million he's raised over the last year plus has come from teachers unions and uh, SEI locals, um, excuse me, SEIU, that's the Service Employees International Union, different locals, so he's mostly getting money from not just the CTU, but uh, the American Federation of Teachers and, and different affiliated groups. So very few individual donors comparative to, compared to a lot of the other candidates and most of his money coming from these uh, you know, left of center organized labor groups. It's interesting. Uh, but of course, that doesn't seem like any surprise. In fact, that tracks so well. Um, we've covered kind of the top, I, don't, I hate saying top five, and the others, because like you mentioned, there's a low percentage threshold that might get you into a runoff. Someone that catches fire at the last couple of weeks or is seen as a good underdog could easily get to the runoff. So I'm not disparaging the other campaigns. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that do the war chests or the money raised line up with what we perceive to be the favorites to get to the runoff? Meaning, does Sophia King, Jamal Green, Roderick Sawyer and Cam Buckner, do they have less, have they gotten less money than maybe the other five we've mentioned? They have, and they're also, uh, if the polls are to be believed, they're also the candidates that are, uh, you know, furthest behind in the polls or have the lowest percentage of support so far in the polls, Um, which again, isn't surprising, right? I mean, these are candidates who really need to get their names out there, but have had to largely rely on uh, coverage in, you know, from the news media because they just don't have the funds uh, to get out there and, and blanket the airwaves the same way as, as some of the other candidates we talked about. And, and I will also add very quickly, John, uh, without getting into all the details, that um, a number of these candidates, uh, Cam Buckner, Rod Sawyer, Sophia King, 
have relied on their other campaign funds. They're, they're already elected officials and they've been able to kind of dip into those campaign funds at least to, you know, to get a little bit of, uh, of movement for, for their campaigns. And Jamal Green actually is uh, largely a self-funder like Willie Wilson, who is kind of his bitter rival in this campaign mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, of course, Jamal has not poured in anywhere close to $6 million like uh, Willie Wilson has, but he has his own small business and that is his largest uh, source of funds so far in the campaign. Um, in addition to like uh, some donations he's gotten from a real estate company for his rent. But again, they're all playing with much smaller amounts of money. So the scale is is completely different from the other candidates who who all had um, the top five candidates all had more than a million dollars in their campaign fund to start the year. Yeah. Mick, this is fascinating. I hope our listeners agree. (laughs) I certainly enjoyed this. So if the listeners do too, that's just an extra little bonus. That's right. You Um, and I got to at least talk and and shoot the breeze, kind of like we would do even if we weren't taping it. So uh, I was going to say, yes, talk about it with you. Yeah. Let's do this again soon. We'll do it on other topics. And uh, thanks for jumping on the ballot with us. Appreciate it, John. Thanks very much. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. As I mentioned um, during the trailer and talking about the ballot, we don't have a set schedule. You're going to get some mayoral candidate uh, one-on-ones with Laura Washington. Those will continue to come through the coming weeks. Mick and I will talk more. We'll drop some more information on you. We'll chat with reporters about their aldermanic races. Uh, We're really kind of in the infancy of this podcast. And, of course, if you are new to this one and uh, new to Block Club in general, go to blockclubchicago.org to donate. That's how we run our newsroom. A nonprofit newsroom um, basically happens because of our fine uh, readers, listeners, and viewers of the TV show. And we have another podcast as well. It's called It's All Good. It's for all the good news. Basically, you won't hear about any of the mayoral races there. So if you're so sick of politics, go to It's All Good. That's your later, uh, later opportunity. All right, we'll drop another pod on you soon. 